Well, good morning. Uh, there was a little bit of a glitch this morning in our recording of the video for this lesson. So uh, I thought I would just go ahead and record it again in this format. So <clears throat> the story is told of a man who was going down a flight of stairs, lost his footing, and tumbled the rest of the way down. Now, for a lot of people today, something like that would no doubt be filled with expletives and moaning and complaining. But when the dust settled, this man of God sat up, still in quite a bit of pain, and said, Thank you, Lord. I'm sure glad that's over. I think we can all say the same thing about the year 2020. Thank you, Lord. I'm sure glad that's over. Of course, we have no idea what the year 2021 will bring, but isn't that a good idea, uh, excuse me, a good attitude for us to have, knowing that life here in this place is going to be filled with trips and falls and suffering, but we look to that light at the end of the tunnel, that hope that one day we'll have all these things behind us, and we can truly say, thank you, Lord. I'm sure glad that's over. Speaking of the year 2020, I want you to rewind about three quarters. It was back in April, May, and June, during the height of the initial COVID-19 shutdowns. Now, we weren't even meeting at the building. <clears throat> I did my class on the first 12 chapters of Acts. Everything was being posted to the website, and hopefully you've had a chance to watch those lessons. If you missed them, they're still on the website. I would encourage you to go back and, and watch them. For, for those that may be listening to this class and, and may not be aware, our website is at www.godsredeemed.org. And those classes on Acts will be easier to find if you use the filter feature and you filter by series to Acts 2020. <clears throat> but some of you that did watch those classes may have wondered, as I did um, after that quarter, well, what happened to the rest of Acts? What happened to chapters 13 through 28? Well, I asked Jason Delk about that myself, and his answer was that by going into the different letters that Paul wrote, we are studying the rest of Acts. And uh, I hadn't thought of doing it that way, but he's absolutely right. We went into 1 Corinthians with Bruce Higdon, and now we're going into that second letter to the church there. Of course, we did have a break in between with the How Jesus Talked to People series last quarter. As part of my introduction to 2 Corinthians, I'd like for you to indulge me a little. I want to go back and do an accelerated look at that last half of Acts. <clears throat> and as part of that, I want to talk about where Paul was in his journeys when he wrote each of these letters. And I, I think that'll help get us into the right mindset for our studies the rest of the quarter. Now, if you think about it, the this, this second half of the book of Acts, Acts 13 through 28, provides the historical framework for 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. And, and we'll talk about that in this introduction. Again, it'll be a lengthy introduction spanning the better part of two classes. Now, just by way of review from the book of Acts, recall that we said that the official title 
the long title, if you will, was the Acts of the Apostles. We made note of the fact that it's not all the Acts of all the Apostles. It's not even some of the Acts of all the Apostles, but more like some of the Acts of a few of the Apostles, namely the Acts of Peter and Paul. So keep that in mind for a moment. In that study, we said that the book of Acts could be divided up in a number of ways. One is by geography, and, and that from the words of Jesus himself when he spoke to his apostles in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, and said, You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Or some translations say the uttermost parts of the earth. So the book of Acts can roughly be divided into those three sections. The first seven chapters dealing with the birth of the church and its work there in Jerusalem. Chapters 8 through 12 dealing with a persecuted church spreading outward to Judea and Samaria. Uh, and incidentally, much of that persecution came from a much feared man by the name of Saul of Tarsus man who was pursuing Christians, dragging them uh, from their homes, binding them and delivering them into prison, even persecuting them and consenting to their death at some point. And then the rest of the book of Acts, chapters 13 through 28, focus on the travels of that same man who had been converted on the road to Damascus. And during that experience, he received a direct commission from Jesus to be a messenger, an apostle to the Gentiles. His name would be changed to Paul at some point, and his three missionary journeys plus his journey to Rome in chains took the earth, excuse me, took the church to the ends of the earth. We also said that the book of Acts could be roughly divided into two parts by the person or the apostle of focus. And the first 12 chapters dealing with the acts, uh, or mainly with the acts or the deeds or the works of the apostle Peter, and the remainder of the book, the acts of the apostle Paul. And that's where we are today, talking primarily about the acts of Paul. So what about those journeys? Where did Paul go and what did he do? At what point in those journeys does Paul write all of his letters? Uh, more specific to this quarter, where, where was Paul when he wrote 1 Corinthians? Was he in the same place or in a different place when he wrote 2 Corinthians? Why did he feel a need to write those letters? Was he just bored during his travels or did he have a specific purpose in mind? So there's a lot of questions, and, and hopefully we'll address most of that in the remainder of our introduction. As sort of a memory aid, you can roughly locate Paul's missionary journeys by simply remembering that the first one begins in chapter 13, and then adding three chapters to it for each journey. So chapter 13, the first missionary journey, Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark. Some might argue that, that it actually begins at the last verse in chapter 12, but, but that's okay. It gets you in a ballpark. Chapter 16, second missionary journey, Paul and Silas uh, picking up Timothy and Luke along the way. Again, you, you technically you would back up to the 36th verse of chapter 15, but chapter 16 gets you in that ballpark. And then chapter 19, the third missionary journey. 
If you add three more to that, chapter 22 puts you at Paul's defense before the mob and essentially the beginning of his long journey to Rome. You know, those chapters go into considerable detail about Paul's arrest in Jerusalem, his appearances before Felix and Agrippa, which includes a retelling of his conversion on the road to Damascus in chapter 26 and containing a lot more detail than we actually get in chapter 9, uh, as well as his appeal to Caesar in his subsequent transport to Rome, what, what some have called the fourth missionary journey. Uh, Paul had long wanted to go to Rome, and here God provides an all-expenses-paid trip. So let's quickly uh, run through these journeys. Roughly, where would we turn to in Acts for his first missionary journey? Well, we said Acts 13. Recall that on Paul's first missionary journey, um, I'll tell you what, let me make this a little larger so it's easier to see. That might help a little bit. As in all three of his journeys, he begins at Antioch of Syria. Think of that as Paul's base of operations. And by the way, we call it Antioch of Syria in order to distinguish it from another Antioch over in the Roman province of Galatia. We call that Antioch, Antioch of Pisidia. So why didn't they just call it Antioch of Galatia? Well, depending on what maps you look at, sometimes Antioch is shown within a small Roman province called Pisidia. And at other times, as on this map, it lies entirely within the province of Galatia. And on this map, that entire pink area, slightly right of center and up a little, that's Galatia. And you can see that Antioch of Pisidia lies just inside that pink area. So again, depending on the map and depending on the time period, you may see Pisidia as its own Roman province, but... By the time of Paul, it had been more or less absorbed by the provinces of Pamphylia to the south and Galatia to the north and east. But this Antioch was still called Antioch of Pisidia or Antioch in Pisidia, as it's labeled on the map here, in order to make that distinction between it and Antioch of Syria. So we can read right there in the opening verses of Acts 13, that this journey would consist of Paul and Barnabas. There is at least a hint in in the closing verse of chapter 12 that John Mark was with them, and and later we do see John Mark departing from them on this journey. Uh, Keep that in mind, as John Mark's departure on this journey would be a bone of contention, if you will, between Paul and Barnabas while they were preparing for the second missionary journey. So beginning at Antioch of Syria, on the first missionary journey, we see Paul Barnabas and John Mark leaving Antioch of Syria and sailing over to the island of Cyprus. Um, Recall that Barnabas was a Levite who was from Cyprus. So landing at the eastern port city of Salamis, they travel overland to the western port city of Paphos. It was there, uh, Acts 13 and verse 9, that Saul of Tarsus became Paul, or thereafter in the book of Acts would always be referred to as simply Paul. 
It's also where Paul had an opportunity to preach the gospel message to the Roman proconsul that was there, who was described as an intelligent man who sought to hear the word of God. Uh, what was this Roman proconsul's name? Sergius Paulus. Recall that Elamus the sorcerer, also known as Bar-Jesus, tried to interfere in that and was blinded by Paul, at least for a time. And from there, they would sail uh, to the port city of Perga on the mainland of what would become modern-day Turkey. It was from Perga that John Mark would abandon the work, Acts 13 and verse 13. By the way, John Mark wrote one of the books of the New Testament, the Gospel according to Mark. From there, Paul and Barnabas would continue overland to Antioch of Pisidia. Now, I want you to take note of these two very large lakes on the map. Paul would have traveled between those two lakes in order to get to Antioch of Pisidia. Um, that lake on the left is called Lake Egerdir today. It's not mentioned in the Bible, but I wanted you to see a modern picture of that area to give you an idea of the terrain that Paul and Barnabas would have walked over. So, Antioch of Pisidia. Recall it was there that the Gentiles in the synagogue begged Paul to return the following Sabbath so that these words might be preached to them again. It says in Acts 13 and verse 42, they were excited about what they heard and wanted to hear more. Recall that the following Sabbath, the whole city turned out to hear the word of God spoken by these men. But, as we would see time and again on Paul's journeys, disbelieving Jews would stir up the people against them to try and defeat their purpose. Acts 13.45 says that they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming and opposing the things spoken by Paul. The result was that they were expelled from the region, it says in Acts 13 and verse 50. They shook the dust off their feet and continued with joy, it says, on their way to the tri-cities of Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. At Iconium, in Acts 14 and verse 1, it says that a great multitude, both of the Jews and the Greeks, believed. But that didn't keep Satan from using disbelieving Jews again to stir up the Gentiles and poison their minds against the brethren. The city became divided, and when it became known to Paul that many wanted to stone them, they fled to Lystra. It was at Lystra that Paul healed a man who had been crippled from birth. It was then that the people began to say that the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Paul they called Hermes. Barnabas they called Zeus. Paul and Barnabas ran in among the crowds, crying out not to do such things. And it says they were barely able to restrain the people from offering sacrifices to them. And by the way, Lystra is the most likely home of a young man named Timothy who would later join Paul in his travels. And so it's very likely that, that a very young Timothy was a witness of these things. Jews from Antioch and Iconium heard that Paul and Barnabas were in Lystra. So what do you think they did? Well, they went to Lystra and stirred up the people against Paul 
And having persuaded the multitudes, it tells us in Acts 14, 19, that they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, and left him for dead. And I really love verse 20. Acts 14 and verse 20 basically shows that Paul, just having been stoned, dragged outside the city and left for dead, got up, dusted himself off, and got back in the fight. From there, we see Paul and Barnabas heading over to Derby. In Derby, Acts 14, 21 says that they made many disciples and afterward returned back through the cities of Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples in each of those cities. Did you hear that? Paul went back to Lystra, the very place where he was stoned, dragged outside the city, and left for dead. I don't know about you, but of all places, I think I would have been inclined to avoid that one. From Antioch of Pisidia, Paul and Barnabas traveled to the port city of Italia, and then by sea back to Antioch of Syria. And that pretty much ends the first missionary journey. And it would be in between the first journey and the second journey, right there in Acts 15, we see Paul and Barnabas traveling to Jerusalem to meet with the elders and, and the apostles over the issue of circumcision. Certain teachers called Judaizers had gone to Antioch from Judea, teaching that Christians still had to obey that part of the law of Moses requiring circumcision. I don't have time to dwell on that topic, just know that it occurs between Paul's first and second missionary journeys. Next, we turn to what chapter in Acts for his second missionary journey? Well, we said a good way to remember it was to add 3 to 13, and we look at Acts 16. Let's actually back up a few verses to Acts 15 and verse 36 where Paul says to Barnabas, let's go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached and see how they are doing. And we're going to see this character trait in Paul so many times, his care and concern over the churches that he helped to establish and, and even one that he didn't help to establish. Now, Barnabas was determined to take John Mark, uh, who, by the way, was a was a relative of Barnabas. Paul insisted that they not take John Mark because John Mark had sort of abandoned them at Perga on that first journey. No mention is made of why John Mark left. Maybe he had a good reason, but at least in Paul's opinion, not reason enough. So in Acts 15 39 it says that the contention became so sharp over this matter that they parted from one another. Barnabas takes John Mark, and off they sail to the island of Cyprus. And Paul chooses Silas, and off they go through Syria and Cilicia. And by the way, Paul would later refer to John Mark in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, as useful to him for ministry. And even asked Timothy to bring John Mark with him. And that's when Paul was in Rome. Uh, facing certain death, certain execution, so that he could see him again. So apparently whatever rift there was between Paul and John Mark had been healed by the time Paul wrote his final letter to Timothy. 
So <clears throat> where do you think Paul and Silas departed from on Paul's second missionary journey? That's right, Antioch of Syria. The last verse in Acts 15 says they went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, uh, no specific locations or route are given, but it is often assumed that this would have included Paul's hometown of Tarsus, you know, Saul of Tarsus, which was in Cilicia. There was a significant mountain range separating the Roman province of Cilicia from Cappadocia to the north and northeast and Galatia to the northwest. That was called the Taurus Mountains. So note the slight variation in spelling from Taurus and Tarsus. Now the Taurus Mountains, they're, they're not mentioned in Acts, but, but anyone wishing to cross that mountain range from Cilicia into Galatia would have passed through what was, and still is, called the Cilician Gates. A partly natural, partly man-made cut through the Taurus mountain range. That picture in the upper left is a modern picture of the Cilician Gates, showing a highway going through there. The picture in the lower right is the oldest photo I could find of the passage through the Cilician Gates. The road that Paul and Silas traveled may have been very similar to this one, being nothing more than dirt and crushed rock. Now, having passed into the Roman province of Galatia, they would have revisited the churches of Galatia that were established on that first missionary journey. The logical order as they proceeded westward would have been first Derby, then Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia. And by the way, Timothy joins them at Lystra. At this point, Paul is forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia or in Bithynia. Bithynia being just to the north of Asia there. So they go on to the port city of Troas. Now let me back up uh, just a few minutes uh, and, uh, and point out a couple of things here. When, when books of the New Testament talk about Asia, they are referring to the Roman province of Asia, not the continent of Asia like we think of today. Now, the word Asia comes from the ancient Greek where the word was used in a general sense to refer to all the lands that were east of them. Uh, on this map, that area to the far left is light purple in color which is labeled Achaia and includes Athens and Corinth. Well, that was Greece. So we can see that the Roman province of Asia, which is light green, just above the center of the map, was indeed those lands to the east of them. Uh, this Roman province called Asia made up about one-third of what would later be called Asia Minor, or what is modern-day Turkey. The Greek phrase Asia Minor simply means Little Asia. So, so that appendage that we call Asia Minor is just a small part of the entire continent of Asia. And by the way, this, this area was also referred to as Anatolia on many of the ancient maps. Anatolia literally means rising of the sun. Again, referring to the lands to the east of Greece. Also, the capital city of the Roman province of Asia was Ephesus. 
So Paul's going to stop off there uh, on this missionary journey, on his return trip to Jerusalem. But uh, it will play a much bigger role in Paul's third missionary journey. So at this point, Paul is forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia or in Bithynia. So most maps of Paul's journeys show a more or less direct route from Antioch of Pisidia to Troas, although we're not told what the exact route was. But keep in mind from Acts 16, verses 6 and 7, that he, was, he wasn't forbidden from setting foot in Asia. He was just not to preach the word there. However, he was not permitted to go into Bithynia at all. We mentioned Troas. That's where our circle is right now. The word Troas means area around Troy. If you have any interest in Greek mythology or you've ever read Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey, uh, you'll recognize that name Troy, perhaps even Helen of Troy, the Trojan War, and so forth. Troy was the name of a real city in antiquity, but it no longer existed in New Testament times. Instead, there was this area around where ancient Troy used to be, and it was called Troas. And by the way, the Trojan War was between Troy and Sparta. Sparta essentially being Achaia, or Greece, during the time of Paul. And it was all because of the beauty of a woman, Helen of Troy, the face that launched a thousand ships. Now, based on Luke's use of pronouns in Acts 16, verses 6 through 10, we know that Luke the physician joins Paul, Silas, and Timothy here at Troas. It is also in Troas that Paul has a vision of a man in Macedonia pleading with him to come over and help them. And we sometimes refer to that as the Macedonian call. So from Troas, Paul and company sail away from the Asian continent and set their feet for the first time on the European continent. They make landfall at Neapolis and immediately head for Philippi. You recall that Lydia was baptized in Philippi. Recall that Lydia was a seller of purple. She was from Thyatira. Thyatira was a city not far from Pergamos. Uh, Pergamos being one of those seven churches of Asia mentioned in the book of Revelation. So, so Lydia was from that Roman province of Asia. Also a slave girl who was possessed with a spirit of divination was healed. And well, because no great deed should go unpunished, Paul and Silas are beaten with many stripes, it says in Acts 16 and verse 23. And then, if just in case that wasn't enough, they're thrown into prison all because her master saw that their hope of profit was gone. And so there they are, shackled in the inner, most secure part of the prison there in Philippi, where the worst of the criminals were kept, the sting of those whiplashes still fresh, the blood beginning to crust over. There they were, feeling sorry for themselves, right? You know, it seems like if anyone had a right to good old-fashioned pity party, it would have been Paul and Silas. But no. What are they doing? They were praying and singing hymns to God. I mean, who does that under these conditions? Followers of Christ do that. The jailer at Philippi believes and is baptized. 
We next see Paul in Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17, having passed through the smaller cities of Amphipolis and Apollonia. Those of you that were here back in 2012 may remember my lessons on First and Second Thessalonians. Uh, if so, you know that I like to uh, talk about Thessalonica because while I was stationed in Kosovo, well, with the U.S. Army, I had a chance to fly a doctor and a couple of nurses down from Kosovo to Thessalonica. And you may not be able to see it on the map here, but notice the modern spelling is with a K-I at the end rather than a C-A. And they pronounce it Thessaloniki. A smaller circle here around this city of Kavala is what Paul referred to as Neapolis and Philippi. And while we're on this map, notice that Thessalonica and what Paul called Neapolis and Philippi are in modern-day Greece. However, that was not the case in Paul's day. Greece didn't extend that far north, and these cities were in Macedonia. So this is a satellite view uh, with this larger circle representing Thessalonica and the smaller circle representing Neapolis and Philippi. The road that Paul and company would have traveled between these cities was called the Ignatian Way or the Via Ignatia. And this is a modern day photo showing what remains of that road built by the Roman army. Another satellite view as we zoom into the area around Thessalonica. Note the yellow thumbtack there showing the airport. Now, the photo I'm going to show you next was taken in the vicinity of that city that I just circled there, labeled uh, Sindos. And so, here's the photo. No, that's not me. I do not have a mustache. This is my co-pilot in the right seat, and I am sitting in the left seat of a Black Hawk helicopter. Again, a, a Google Earth view of the Gulf leading up to Thessalonica. It's called the Thermaic Gulf. The city's just to the left of center. <clears throat> um, this area that I just circled shows where our ultimate destination was. It was a main hospital there, but we had to land um, there where you see the next circle where the, where the airport is. Now this is a photo I took from about the same location. You can see modern day Thessalonica off to the left. The airport is off the picture a little ways to the right. Um, this photo, we're crossing the Thermaic Gulf. And you can see the picture of the city of Thessalonica out the left side of the helicopter. And this is a photo taken after we landed. I am there in the middle. And looking at the photo, the three men on the right were my crew members, and the two nurses and the doctor are on the left. And yes, in case you were wondering, I am holding a teddy bear. That bear's name was SoCo, short for Southern Comfort. That was our uh, call sign while we were deployed. You may recognize the play on words from the alcoholic beverage of the same name, but being a medical evacuation unit from Tennessee, we advertised our services as the real Southern Comfort, the life-saving kind of comfort. Anyway, we carried that bear around with us everywhere we went, and when we returned, we presented it to a little eight-year-old girl in Knoxville, Tennessee, 
who had been diagnosed with brain cancer about the time we deployed. And I'm happy to say that she has since made a full recovery and that she's no longer a little girl. I grabbed a quick shot of this road sign while we were being shuttled to the hospital because um, I thought I recognized a couple of words on there. Macedonia for one and the other one Neapolis although I found out later that this is Neapoli which is a different place. Uh, the rest of it well it's Greek to me. This is another shot of the Ignatian Way where it cuts through Thessalonica and remains relatively untouched from Paul's day. I decided to throw this picture in just because uh, it looked like it possibly had been around since Paul's day. <laughs> so this is a sort of a, a Google Earth view uh, showing all the cities mentioned in this part of Acts. We see in the upper right Neapolis, then moving to the left Philippi, Amphipolis, Apollonia, Thessalonica, and Berea. Um, these would have all been part of Macedonia in Paul's day, and then we see Athens and Corinth at the bottom. They would have been part of Achaia or Greece. Now recall that it was at Thessalonica where Paul reasoned with the Jews in the synagogue for three Sabbaths. Uh, some of the Jews were persuaded, it says in Acts 17 and verse 4, but also a great multitude of devout Greeks. Of course, disbelieving Jews, again, Becoming envious, it says in Acts 17 and verse 5, put the city in an uproar and attack the house of Jason, looking for Paul. And so the brethren took Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. You'll recall from Acts 17 and verse 11 about how the Jews in Berea were more fair-minded, were more noble, depending on your translation, than those in Thessalonica receiving the word with all readiness and search the scriptures daily to confirm the things that Paul was saying. These scriptures would have been what we call the Old Testament, but what they would have simply called the law, the prophets, and the writings. And Jews, Jews today, would, today would call that the Tanakh. I have no doubt that Paul was preaching Christ from those very scriptures. No doubt he was saying, look, look at the promises that God made to Abraham, that through him all nations would be blessed. Look at Jeremiah's prophecy that a new and better covenant was coming. Look at all the prophecies about the coming Messiah. You know, in Isaiah, for instance, his manner of birth, his place of birth, his lineage, his life, his manner of death, all these things were fulfilled in one man. Jesus Christ. But what do you think happened when disbelieving Jews from Thessalonica heard that Paul was in Berea? Well, they went to Berea and stirred up the crowds, forcing the brethren to send Paul away by sea to Athens. You recall it was at Athens that Paul spoke to the Stoics and the philosophers at the Areopagus, also known as Mars Hill, named after the Roman god of war, Mars. And he would say in Acts 17, verses 22 and 23, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, 
I even found an altar with this inscription, To the Unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, he is the one I proclaim to you today. Wow, what powerful words. From Athens it says that a few joined him and believed. That Acts 18 has Paul continuing on to Corinth, where he ends up staying for a year and a half. You might say that he drove his tent stakes just a little deeper in Corinth. At Corinth, Paul meets Aquila and Priscilla, fellow tent makers, and Silas and Timothy, who had been separated from Paul, are once again able to rejoin him there. Timothy bringing news about the church in Thessalonica. Recall that Paul had only spent a short time there and was ultimately whisked away under the cover of darkness, so he was anxious to know how they were doing. More on that in a minute. It was at Corinth where Paul enters the house of Justice, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue at the time, hears, believes, and is baptized, along with many Corinthians. It was at Corinth that the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and said, Do not be afraid. Speak and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many people in this city. It was at Corinth that once again disbelieving Jews would create a stir, lodging charges against Paul to one Gallio, who was the Roman proconsul of Achaia. But Gallio said to the Jews in Acts 18, verses 14 through 16, If this is a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, then bring it to me. But if it's just a matter of words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. And it says that he drove them from the judgment seat. Still being angry, though, and apparently unable to get their hands on Paul, says that they beat Sosthenes before the judgment seat. He was the ruler of the synagogue. It looks like poor Sosthenes picked a bad time to succeed Crispus as the ruler of the synagogue. Anyway, it would be during this year and a half that Paul would write two of his 13 letters, both to the church at Thessalonica. Timothy had brought news from the church there. Like many churches, they had questions that needed answers. A lot of those questions revolved around the second coming of Christ. From Corinth, Paul departs with Aquila and Priscilla in tow and stops off in a city not too far from Corinth, a city called Sancria. Uh, Apparently there was a good barber there. (laughs) That's where Paul had his hair cut off because Acts 18.18 says that he had taken a vow. By the way, we do know that there was a church there at some point because in Romans 16 and verse 1, Paul commends to the Romans his sister Phoebe, whom he called a servant of the church in Sancria. It's very possible that Paul established a church there on this second missionary journey, although Acts does not specifically mention it. From Sancria, Paul sails across the Aegean Sea to the port city of Ephesus. Recall that was the capital city of the Roman province of Asia. Um, recall that he had previously been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Uh, apparently, that was no longer the case. 
However, he doesn't stay there long. He's uh, interested in getting back to Jerusalem for a coming feast, most likely Pentecost. And, but he does leave Aquila and Priscilla behind in Ephesus to, to support the work there. And off he sails across the Mediterranean Sea to Caesarea, then up to Jerusalem where it says he greeted the church, and then returned to Antioch. And I know that's a lot of information. I had to talk fast, so hopefully you were able to listen fast. Now, next week, Paul's third missionary journey, which is one that will have a direct bearing on both letters to the church at Corinth.